On this episode, we talk digital with Michaela Jade. This is the Gomaluku Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Ghazali Orella here with episode seven of the Gomaluku Live uh, Q&A show, where I sit down with inspiring and empowering people from the indigenous rights scene, both, both past and present, as in past, as in people that um, are not in the scene anymore, not that they're dead, but like in that way in past. And, and yeah, just to pick the brain, um, so you can tap into a uh, like a buffet of knowledge um, to do um, to help you do what inspires you. And on this episode, I have the amazing Michaela Jade, um, very good friend of mine. Met her at the Perma Forum in New York. I can't remember it what year it was. I think it was two thousand and fourteen. Yes. <laughs> ah, awesome. All right. So my my brain is still working. Um, and and the amazing niche i would say that michaela is in is um and correct me if i'm wrong it's about uh like digitization uh, um uh, she she co-founded as an as an, as always she's also also a ceo of indigital which we'll definitely get into um um throughout the the whole um episode um, Michaela, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, I know COVID-19 is, 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 is happening across the world. How, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm feeling really lucky, actually, Ghazali. I've, like, my family's healthy. We have had um, a really kind of great time being locked up together early on in COVID and I got to spend more time with my kids. Um, we haven't had to travel as much, which has meant more home time, which has been great. And we're all, we're all just healthy and we have a roof over our heads and we have employment. So, you know, I just feel really lucky. Oh, perfect. Well, not perfect, but like, I'm so grateful that like a lot of people that um, I know or um, yeah, that, that are close to me or family to me that like everything is okay. So very good, very good to hear that. Um, uh, Michaela, in almost every episode, I start off with like, um, not the same question, but like a similar question, which is like, what is your origin story? Um, so that like, let's give you like four to three to four minutes um, you can talk about, yeah, like uh, who you were as a kid growing up, who your parents were, uh, what you'd liked or disliked. Um, you can, you can give, give people uh, the insides of like, like what, who is, uh, what, or what makes uh, Michaela tick. Oh, okay. Well, my childhood story is probably a little different to a lot of people's, but also kind of the same for people that have been in the Sydney Basin. So um, I grew up in an amazing family. Um, my mum and dad, Mike and Sue, incredibly supportive people. And I have great brother and a great sister um, who I'm very close with. And I grew up uh, not knowing my cultural heritage, actually. Mm -hmm. So my family um, had a lot of interactions with stolen generation and um ancestors of mine not identifying with our cultural heritage because we had policies in australia that had the forcible removal of um half caste children um especially in the 50s when my parent when my mother was born so um, as a result she didn't know about our cultural heritage and i obviously didn't know about it um until i became a park ranger and I became a park ranger Ghazali because I had such an affinity to country and I really I strongly connected with the environment and environmental issues and 
Um, I spent a lot of time in the bush when I was a kid, um, you know, doing what everyone else thought was weird stuff, like grinding up rocks and painting my body with it and um, pulling paper bark off trees and making baskets out of it and, and things that just came naturally to me, um, not knowing about where I came from. Um, and through that, I thought I'd just become a park ranger because I'm really good at the bush. And if I could work in conservation, that would kind of be my dream job. So I got to do that when I was 18. And um, when I was 21, I was asked to do a lot of work with um, local Aboriginal community along the Great Barrier Reef, working on some pretty heavy um, content for the Queensland government, which was um, trying to negotiate a moratorium on the take of dugong and turtle. And that was really intense work for a 21 year old person um, to be undertaking. And when I would go to do the negotiations um, with the community, I'd be sitting around the kitchen table of elders and they didn't want to know about that work. They wanted to know about who I was and what my country was because they could see um, something in me that I couldn't see at the time. Um, and that was quite confronting. So I was asking my mum about why are they calling me Aboriginal and why, like, what are they saying that I'm not mum? <laughs> and it was really difficult for her to answer, of course. And that happened for a few years. And then I moved to the other side of the country and the exact same thing started happening again with elders over there. So um, that's when I went on the journey of trying to like really discover who I was. And, you know, I had that kind of bombshell dropped on me when I was um, 28 and 29. Mm -hmm. um, who I was and where we were from. Um, so at that point, you know, it was a really low point in my life. Um, a lot of personal things going on in my life that were really quite horrible. And um, I ended up from that point deciding that I was not going to be angry about what happened to my family. I was going to just use all my education, all my resources and all my networks to do something that was going to be positive for my people and also for my daughter's generation and their kids as well. So, um, yeah, I reconnected with our tribe and our tribal corporation and our elders and I've spent the last 13 years um, working for my people in the best way that I can, which is to bridge um, culture and technology and um, environment together. That, that, that's, so, um, yeah, let, let me, let me um, allow, allow me, uh, allow me to, to, yeah, ask you a little bit like a follow-up on that. How did you um, find that um, your, your niche, you know, like, like bridging like, like your, your community, your culture with technology? Um, yeah. A lot of people, like they, they connected to rates or lands or like a, a whole host of other things. Um, but technology, that, that's something that is something that is mostly, at least in my experience, uh, untapped uh, from the indigenous point, point of view. So like what, what, made you, what made you decide to do that? Yeah, there's a few things that kind of happened at the same time. So like I was going through this like rebirth of who I am and and where I come from. And at the same time, I was doing some work at a university and I saw for the first time this technology called augmented reality. And this is in 2012, bizarrely. So you can imagine how like unformed the tech was back then. Um, so I put my phone over this piece of paper that was a photo of a doctor. And this video hovered like one centimeter above the piece of paper. And I was like, whoa, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, how did that happen? 
um, and I found out a bit more about the technology and I came home and had a shower that night and this idea just kind of came to me like all my ideas come to me in water it's really weird like in really? the shower I mean mm -hmm. yeah um, and I hopped out of the shower and I was like imagine we could put our mobile devices up to our cultural places and our elders could come forward in a hologram and tell us the right story at the right place at the right time in the right language and and also be able to get some economic development out of sharing that knowledge with people and as a park ranger I'd been responsible for creating all the what they call interpretation on parks so looking at um creating metal signs and putting them in front of 25,000 year old cultural heritage sites, which always, I always hated that process and part of my job because having a metal sign is so incongruent with what we're supposed to be learning at these places. Mm -hmm. um, and our families have lived in since time began. It just doesn't seem right to put a metal sign there that's described by an archaeologist or an anthropologist and really just focuses on how old the site is rather than what you're supposed to, to gain from visiting and being invited into a place like that. Um, so I saw this technology as being able to like get rid of signs basically. Um, and as I went deeper into the technology and worked out more and more about how it works, all the kind of opportunities came into my head about what we could do with this. Um, so yeah, I. I kind of I applied for a research and development grant and I got like a quarter of the money that I needed to be able to even research this new technology that was incredibly expensive and um, no one wanted to work with me <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I, I put out two expressions of interest um, for this I had like $25,000 it was a really tiny amount of money mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I couldn't find anyone in the whole country that could work in the tech in the way that I wanted to work in it, which was it had to be available offline. It had to be usable in remote communities. Um, it had to deal with multiple languages. It had to do image recognition um, technology. And everyone was like, oh, that's all impossible. You're crazy. <laughs> um, so it came time to nearly putting that money back um, to the government because I couldn't I actually couldn't spend it because no one would work with me. And um, I kind of did what all people do when we're failing at things. I just like sat on my bed and cried. <laughs> and then um, it was in that moment where I started remembering about all the things my ancestors had gone through for me to have the privilege of education and to even be in custody of this amount of money to do something wonderful with. So I kind of, kicked myself up the ass and um, just thought, okay, I'm just going to Google companies around the world and ask them to work with me. So that's what I spent the night doing. And, um, you know, my pitch was pretty terrible. It's like, hi, I'm an Aboriginal woman from Australia. I want to, I want to make augmented reality without the internet um, for cultural knowledge sharing and language preservation. And they, all pretty much laughed at me because I didn't, I didn't have half a million dollars. I had <laughs> a really tight feeling. One guy actually said he'd work with me though. And that was kind of when, that was one of those points, a leverage point in my life where I was, where something shifted. And um, he said, you know, I, I think it's crazy. I love it. I'm going to help you. So I would be a park ranger and work in the parks during the day. And at night I would get on Skype and he would teach me the dark arts of augmented reality over the internet 
from England. Right. Um, yeah, so he taught me how to do that. And um, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there because as soon as we could build the minimum viable product um, mm -hmm. and people see what I was talking about, um, that's when everything kind of changed for us. Look, there's a lot of people and I, I canvassed um, before we, we talked, I did um, extensive research because um, there's, um, yeah, how, how can I say it? I canvassed Twitter on like what, where indigenous peoples are when it comes to like um, entrepreneurship and starting your own business. And mostly it's that fear of failure as I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is a good idea. Um, so paint me a picture of, um, so you Googled, um, yeah, Googled a lot of companies. Like um, if you're willing to share, like how many uh, companies did, did you Google? Because I think also think there's a lot of uh, people that are, um, yeah, making a, like con con making a conclusion without having like willing, being willing to put in the work. So um, yeah, can, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so at the time, this is 2013, there was hardly any people working in the technology because it was so new. Mm -hmm. um, it was probably about 15 companies that I Googled and phone called. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and they were from everywhere. They were in Germany, they were in India, they were in the UK, the USA, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just took that one person to say, I'm going to teach you because that's all I really wanted to know. It was like, I, I've seen the tech, obviously it exists. So like, how can I learn how to use it? Mm -hmm. uh, how can I build this? So that's what he really helped me do. Um, and I was really grateful for Jason's support to do that. Um, Harmony AR, if anyone wants to know <laughs> which company it was. Big really shout out Harmony AR, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Such a fantastic person. Um, yeah, so we ended up working together, uh, developing our first kind of minimum viable product for about 18 months. And um, then Jason went on to do much bigger and better things. And um, I, I had to work out from there on my own how to start building the company. So. Yeah, and what, um, did, did, you, did you foresee yourself building, uh, building your own company or did you, um yeah what what, uh, what was the process yeah so i did want to do a company um you know my dad's my dad always had a company um he's a builder and you know he always he worked incredibly hard and i knew what i knew what kind of hard work it would take to build a company and i did want the company because i wanted to demonstrate to other first peoples that we don't we don't have to have not-for-profits in order to be successful. We can make companies and we can use our intellectual capital and our, and our networks and our communities to build successful companies that reinvest back into our own people. Um, so I wanted to do that. Like, I guess I've done everything the hard way. <laughs> um, it would have been much easier to do a not-for-profit um, because I would have found myself in a situation now where we, we could have had lots of money being invested in what we're doing. Um, but I wanted to build that company because I wanted to demonstrate we can be business owners. And I, I'm really glad that I went down that path now. It's been eight years. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a team of six people working in our company. Um, five of which are first peoples and they're all first peoples that live on their country and are able to work from their country so they're creating you know economic opportunities for themselves which 
you know, I think it's great. I, I, I want more of that. Michaela, <laughs> <So. laughs> um, um, thank you so much for, for starting your own, uh, your own company and also explaining a little bit, uh, like um, trying to get rid of that stigma that um, that's around that when any of these people want to start something like it's like, what is it or why are indigenous peoples or, or like what in your experience, at least um, like they immediately gravitate towards nonprofits and there's a stigma on, 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 on a business. Like what, 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 um, what is that you think? Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know. Like I, I'm pretty mm. lucky my dad had a company so I could see what I could see a, a loose pathway to what it takes to have a company and I'm not sure that everyone has the, the opportunity to have family that have been able to generate their own income from doing a job that they love so I guess I was lucky in that regards and I could see that there is a possible possibility for that to occur I'm not sure that everyone can that has that mm-hmm. and even now, like being an Indigenous person in technology, like there's so few of us internationally, not just within our own country, that you know, I'm, we need more um, visibility of people creating companies so you know people can be inspired and see that it's possible and mm-hmm. that there's a pathway for them to do that. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's not, I, there's not a lot of people that I can look up to as an Indigenous woman in tech and, and see that they've, you know, been successful and that I can just call up for advice about everything to do with running a company or creating a new technology or working with communities. There's like, there's not a lot of people um, in the whole world kind of working in that space at the moment. So um, I guess we have to have some kind of sense of responsibility that, maybe we are the trailblazers and that we owe it to people around us and people um, who are younger than us to just step forward and have a go. And I think the fear of failure um, or imposter syndrome belongs to everybody. Everybody has that. I don't, (laughs) there's this great graph going around the internet. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a pie chart Mm -hmm. and it says, you think have imposter syndrome and it's like this tiny slice of pie and then it's like who actually has imposter syndrome the whole pie <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think everyone who's who's had a go at doing something new um has imposter syndrome because we don't we don't know the right way to do it we're we're making it up as we go along often and and that's okay and i think just embracing when things go wrong um is a positive thing to do as well. Like not everything's gone right along our journey. And I think those points where things have gone wrong is the points where we get to sit back and actually reflect on why it went wrong. And I think that's where we learn and pivot and become a better company um, for having failures. Mm. I think, I think that is a very important thing to do actually when, when things go not, not only wrong, but not the way that you want it to go, um, that you just lean in as in like, all right, why is it not going on? But with the, and trying to figure it out with a mindset to move on and not to, because what a lot of people do is like, they, they see something going on and like they, they immediately pump on the brakes and then like, all right, no, this is not for me. And yeah. it's, it's a lost opportunity and a lot, lot lost, like you were about to build momentum and um, I think there's a lot more, um, yeah, what people can do or if they, yeah, the change, flip, flip that mindset, flip that narrative of, all right, something is going wrong. Like, all right, why is it not going wrong? And how can I do it better 
next time around or like uh, to to move forward. I think I think yeah, yeah like like your 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 story is um like so inspirational um at least at least to me and the the, the circle that that I, that I move in and whenever I the thing for for full disclosure so that people know is that whenever um people start thinking about um digital like i immediately tell them all right michaela like um go look at michaela's website um or um go look at, at her twitter um because yeah that, that's if in a way that uh, you you're building a path that no one has walked before like you said um so in a, in a way the people that want to get involved like you can you can actually track your your process your your journey and uh, yeah be inspired by that and or feel empowered by that so that's why um we don't talk a lot um um okay. we we just some from time to time we like our each other's posts but like definitely um definitely in my mind when it when it comes to uh when i talk to other people around um like dig, uh, digital and 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 indigenous peoples and I uh, wish you sounds like a closing monologue, but it it, it isn't. It isn't. Um, uh, definitely, um, like wish you, as always, the best. Um, people have did, did send in questions. Um, um, when when I uh, when I announced that I was going to sit down with you, and they sent in a number of questions. So I actually had to select a lot of, like, go through a lot of questions, but but uh, to select a few that I felt that could be um, of value to to other people as well. So let let's. Yeah, right, cool. jump, jump, jump right into it. Uh, let's do let's do the first one. Um, what are the biggest challenges with creating your own indigenous business? You already talked a little bit about it. Um, yeah. Anything that comes to you, into your mind that you um, experienced and how you overcame them? Yeah, so I think oh, there's so many because <laughs> it feels like it feels like it's been a battle the whole way sometimes. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of like structural inequality in the tech sector, not just for Indigenous peoples, but also for being female. I think mm. around 28% of people in the tech sector are female. Um, so there's not a lot of women. And being an Indigenous person, um, when you start looking at how much venture capital or investment that has been able to be attracted by Indigenous people, we don't, we don't even rank. Like, there's not even a statistic on that. So, um, yeah, so being invested in is incredibly difficult um, and incredibly rare if you're a first person. Um, so there's the money side. Um, then there's... Uh, just racism basically <laughs> and genderism is that a word I don't know um, where I've had people along the way to say to me things like you're female you're indigenous you're working in cutting-edge tech in remote communities that's just high risk and quite ridiculous so there's been that kind of mindset around the old guard involved in tech about not wanting to imagine a new future where first peoples are taking the leadership role in developing new technologies and cutting edge tech. Um, so that's been pretty challenging. Something I'm really grappling with at the moment is inequality um, relating to access to devices. So forget the internet for a minute because everyone talks about internet connectivity being um, a barrier to technology um, futures. The devices, <laughs> you can do a lot with the devices without the internet. You can learn to code, you can uh, do graphic design, you can do tons of stuff on a computer without the internet. 
but you must have the device in order to do that. Um, so a lot of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that we work with in Australia um, just don't have the devices or the devices that they have access to are locked in a shed where someone has a key um, who decides who gets to use the computers or the computers are from 1995 and are just not cut out for the kind of technology that we're working in um, in 2020. So yeah, they're, they're some of the barriers. So structural inequalities, racism, <laughs> sexism, um, lack of funds, lack of devices, and then there is the internet issue as well. So we've got quite a lot of barriers to face um, mm. in the work we're doing. But we persevere because it's important. Like um, I was at a World Economic Forum dialogue on the weekend and they were saying that eight out of 10 kids that don't come from wealthy backgrounds are going to have to be entrepreneurs in the fourth industrial revolution. They're going to have to create jobs for themselves. So how are we positioning our communities to be able to even do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've got to work with computers because every job will be enabled by technology. Um, so I think, yeah, thinking about technology, not as like dudes in hoodies coding stuff in the dark, but thinking about every single job that we do, jobs on country, jobs in offices, jobs in healthcare, education, law, um, finance sector, like everything is technology enabled. You have to have an understanding of technologies in order to participate in that work. Yeah. Hmm. So um, it's it's like when when we said like almost every the next generation has to be almost as all has to be entrepreneurs. That is. It was um, yeah. The statistic was the statement was eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Uh, yeah kids so basically there's a big dialogue happening internationally at the moment about like robotics and artificial mm -hmm. intelligence and jobs being replaced by um robots but in reality it'll be jobs augmenting the jobs um that humans do but so there will be a certain volume of jobs that are sort of taken up by technology but there's also loads of jobs will be created by technologies um mm -hmm. and you know, there's lots of opportunity for first peoples in this world right. <laughs> over here. There's lots of jobs being created, but you you have to have a baseline understanding of technology in order to participate in them. Right. And, and well, so obviously, um, so the sort of people know that w w as an indigenous person that wants to start their own business, not only do you have to overcome the challenges of starting a business, but also like overcome the challenges of that, that all the the different forms of discrimination and racism that's out there that are that affect us um what would you um yeah recommend or like is it is it a specific mindset that people should have or people that should be like different kind of, of a specific per, uh, group of people that people should talk to to be able to like you said persevere and and keep on moving uh, to um yeah face those challenges or, or overcome those challenges yeah, definitely. Um, so I think creating a network of people that can support you on that journey is like so important because <laughs> there's a lot of times where, yeah, I've been really upset about being a, being a business owner and trying to do what I'm doing. 
it hasn't been easy. You know, I've got a great family and a, an amazingly supportive partner, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard. But there's also a whole uh, group of people that I've connected with over the years that um, that are fantastic mentors and supporters and champions. And yeah, you know, I I feel very lucky to be part of networks like SheEO. So we were um, supported as a venture this year for SheEO, and um, you know, there's 6,000 women around the world who I can reach out to and ask for help. And within that collective of women, there's um, a really strong cohort of First Nations women who are business owners in that as well. So um, there's a collective called the Lift Collective, um, which is started by Tiara Fraser, who's the mm. first Indigenous woman to um, own an airplane company. So, um, yeah, so I think banding together with other Indigenous peoples who are in business is like really important. And I can see a, a lot of really positive stuff happening in Australia um, around these networks that have been created in just Facebook groups and um, other social media channels where Indigenous business owners are coming together and buying off each other um, and supporting each other's businesses and connecting people up to resources that they need and connecting people up to skills that they need to to start a business and to grow a business. So I think um, we're kind of creating this whole new economy, which is not altogether inside the, the Western dominated economy, but we're starting this other economy over here, which um, we're very supportive of each other and supporting each other's businesses. Also, um, wow. That's okay. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember um, a, little, a small sidestep though. Um, that there was there were some conversations within the indigenous people's movement at the un like we should do like um nation to nation trading as in like start to trade and like do business with indigenous peoples um peoples with capital p as um so that we can can yeah help uh, our our own economies but it's now what, what you're saying, if that is already happening, that it brings in another layer, or if not already a, an example or a model that indigenous peoples can tap into, like, all right, this is happening already. So let, let, let's mm -hmm. jump into it. So create this side, not side, but like a whole new economy outside of the system that is already, um, that we already have to participate in, but like now do it in the indigenous to indigenous, um, yeah. whole indigenous yeah. ecosystem. And there's, there's a few Indigenous um, communities that have even gone on to create their own cryptocurrencies. Yes, and, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's happening. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, is, is, is that, is that hap happening in Australia? I know in, in Hawaii, Nation of Hawaii is developing the Aloha coin. Um, yep. um, yeah. Yeah, how, how do you look at that? Aloha coin or like cryptocurrency? Um, any any because um, a lot of people are skeptical about, about it. Um, yeah. So what, what, what do you stand on it? Yeah, I think um, I think cryptocurrencies are really interesting um, because you do have the opportunity to kind of create your own way of trading. And for Indigenous peoples, it's probably just us rethinking or remembering how we used to trade and um, using a new technology to empower the old ways of doing business um, across the world. Because we were business people, we were traders. We, we've never stopped trading with each other. Um, and crypto coins at currencies just allow you to do that in a more efficient way. Yeah, um, yeah I think, I don't know. I don't, I think it's, it's still really new. So 
I, th I think it's amazing that people are having a crack at it and seeing where it goes. And I hope it goes off because it would be amazing to be mm -hmm. able to have our own cryptocurrencies and trade in that way. Um, but there's other things that we're doing as well, like even just creating the space where we can trade together online in our own way. I think that's you know, a positive step for Indigenous business as well. Yeah, yeah. 100%. All right, let's jump to the next question. I'm, I'm excited already for like what, you're, what you're gonna say in the next couple of questions. Um, so next one is, um, yeah, did you ever doubt yourself in terms of your ability to get people excited for what you believe in? And maybe also like, how did you overcome that doubt? Yeah, all the time. I still have doubts about it. Because <laughs> mm. like, yeah, I, I do, I have imposter syndrome. I think, like I said before, I think everyone has that. Um, I think at the start it was really hard because we went about three years without being able to have that minimum viable product and like you just can't explain augmented reality you have to see it um otherwise yeah. it just sounds like you're talking about this weird thing that no one can see and no one's seen and don't, doesn't understand it um so but once once i built that and people could see what we were talking about that became exciting because i could see people's eyes light up when we worked with our first group of traditional owners to create their content in augmented reality, like that was absolutely magical. And one of the best things that's ever happened in my career to see the look on their faces and the look on their kids' faces, um, to see their their cultures um, alive in these holograms, which was just incredible. And then there's been pretty incredible moments along the way, like being able to present at the UN um, last year for the international, for the year of languages. And, um, yeah, there's been, I think as we develop more and more, people get more and more excited. And I think we're at this point now where augmented reality is not so like way out in the future. It's here and people have been able to experience it, whether it's through things like Pokemon Go or other AR experiences that they've had, and they can really start imagining for themselves what, what the technology could hold for their own peoples. And I find that that's really exciting. So, I feel like it's less about me trying to convince people now and more about letting our work and the communities that we work with work speak for itself. Um, and getting, I, I think just seeing people's excitement with the possibility is amazing. And we've created this new program called In Digital Schools that we launched in June. And just to give you some context, our first application cost $150,000. So, I took out a bank loan um, to support most of that money um, and had to pay that off on a ranger's salary, which is really, really hard. Um, it took us two years to create our first augmented reality um, experience. So it was 150 grand in two years for the first one. This, every time we wanted to add new content into our app, it was around 8,000 Australian dollars, which is a lot of money for communities. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I almost switched the whole thing off three years ago because I was like, it's great and it's wonderful and everyone wants to do it, but it's so bloody expensive that it's just, it's not scalable and it's not repeatable and it's not viable. Um, which is when I started working with Microsoft and Telstra to kind of reimagine how we could do this. And my biggest mandate for that work was that it had to be cheap and it had to be accessible and it had to be scalable. Um, so we ended up achieving that in June where now I can teach kids um, and teachers how to create their own augmented reality experience in just six hours 
in one school day, we can go from having no content to developing three-dimensional characters, creating Minecraft worlds that are culturally grounded, and then doing audio recordings in language and mixing that into an augmented reality experience that the kid can take home at the end of the day and share with their community. Mm. Uh, it's just so exciting that um, we've been able to develop the technology in a way that everyone can be excited about and everyone can be a creator now. Like before it was really difficult to find anyone working in the content that would charge less than like $25,000 for, for an experience. So yeah, I think we're at a point now where we've enabled everyone to be a creator and now it's just a matter of working with people and letting them unleash their cultural creativity to the world. Um, and we're doing this because it provides kids an opportunity to, to think about our cultures in three dimensions in the way that our ancestors always thought about culture. Um, we never thought about culture in 2D. It, it was always in 3D. Um, and so the technology is caught up that our kids can think about culture in three dimensions and create it in three dimensions and share it in three dimensions, um, which is really exciting. And when you're thinking in three dimensions and you're developing computational skills in three dimensions, all of a sudden, all these opportunities open up to you. You can work in space, you can work in manufacturing, you can work in caring for country using drones and automated technologies. You can think about artificial intelligence. Like there's just so many things that open up to you if you can take that first step and see something you've created in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. That is that is such an amazing like from 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 what I'm hearing is actually the um, whenever you doubt yourself and you still have that that imposter syndrome and, and myself included um, that it's always that that this this utopian view that you have in your, in your mind you know that that, that keeps you going like um, um, putting a it uh, like having the giving the possibility to all, all indigenous children um, the the ability to um, yeah, uh, um, have access to culture using using technology, like, and that is something that, that having that having that vision in your head, you know, that, that that keeps you going, and that is what what I, what I could distill from 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 what what you, what, what you what you just not now um, talked about, and I, that I think that is um, very important if you are starting something new um, that no one has ever uh, heard of or is skeptical about um um that that you um yeah that you that you keep that you uh, that you keep going and uh, your your why or your mission or your utopian view that's what you, what you what you should have um yeah. thank you thank you so much for that um what is your vision for changing the stigmas around indigenous peoples ah well i think we just create a a third space for us to be excellent in <laughs> and we don't worry about what everyone else thinks about us i've stopped worrying about that a couple of years ago because it doesn't if i invest energy in worrying about what other people think about the work that we're doing in the way that we do it i won't move forward and that takes an enormous amount of energy to worry about what other people are worrying about um so yeah i think having creating the third space where you can really excel um at you know, trying to achieve your vision and trying to, you know, make like we're all doing this because we want to make um, life better and more fulfilling and more sustainable and um, more beautiful for our um, descendants. And I want that for my kids. And I 
you know, if I just can figure that out for my kids and maybe we can figure it out for our whole community and maybe we can figure it out for communities around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's perfect. I'm, I'm not going to even add my <laughs> own vision to it because I think that that's the, the perfect way to uh, describe it because a lot of... A lot of people they 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 want to address those stigmas, but that's mostly diminishing you to a certain level that not diminishing, but moving you to a certain level that yeah that is um, yeah not justified or like that is not not or below you um, um, with the, with all the respect. Of- like it just takes a lot of energy to fight people and yeah. We're working in a Western context a lot of the time where it's not designed for us to win. Mm. So if you're in a game that you can't win, then would you continue to play the game knowingly? You probably wouldn't. You would play another game where maybe you can create the rules and you can create the the context of what you're working in. So, yeah, I think I'd, I would just prefer to spend my energy creating something that's really positive, that has intergenerational benefits and can benefit other people around the world. Thank you, so, thank you so much for helping me out uh, in there because I was like stumbling through words that didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for that. Um, and even making it better. Uh, um, so I, I think I'm going to steal that from you um, in terms of like w- what, you just, what you said just now. Um, next question. Imagine 2030, um, uh, what, would you, what will you build by then or would you have built by then? Ah, well, good thing you asked that because I'm working on that right now. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> I have a HoloLens 2, which is a pretty amazing head-worn holographic um, machine, but it's really a computer on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by 2030, it'll look more like this. <laughs> um, and I think we will expect a digital layer to every part of our world um, to help us have deeper understanding of things maybe that we don't understand like how to fix something there will be an augmented reality layer available to show you which parts to move and what to wire up and stuff like that this is already being being developed right now um and i think what was something we're talking about um so i i i represent on the world economic forum um, global future council for augmented reality and virtual reality and something that has come up there is this that we're on right now is the two-dimensional web. It's being referred to now as the flat web. I think flat people, web. Okay. yeah, I think people by 2030 are going to move away from this flat web and you're going to be here as a hologram talking to me and we're going to be able to sit together. I, I just had an experience of this um, two days ago where I became a hologram Ghazali and I was presenting to, um, a conference in the other side of the country as a hologram through these devices and that I looked real and the person that was standing next to me was in a hologram mm-hmm. and he looked real so I think because we because we're humans and we like three dimensions I think we will prefer that kind of technology to what we're looking at on a screen today and how, yeah. how like and so you appeared as a hologram in, in like in, in a meeting across the country so like were you in, in your cabin yourself or coming with all camera a lot of cameras like how no there's no cameras this is the thing so using um artificial intelligence so all i needed to make an avatar of myself okay which 
moving photorealistic avatar mm -hmm. was a photo of myself. So with the two-dimensional photo, using artificial intelligence and deep fakes, which are great and terrifying, um, you, can, you can make uh, yourself into a photorealistic hologram. So it took me like two seconds to have an avatar of myself. There was an app called Altura that we used, yeah. um, which kind of brought everyone together and we were all having this experience where I had hologram Lawrence on one side of me and hologram Dan on one side of me and they had hologram Mick and hologram Lawrence and then the whole group um, of people got to experience us as holograms as well at the conference. So that was surreal and that was like a tiny glimpse into what I think 2030 will be like. Um, the technology's there, the technology, like, can you imagine doing that 10 years ago? It would have cost a million dollars. You know, it's cost now $4,000 with a headset. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think, um, I think that will be happening, but something I am thinking about though, with these technologies um, does come great responsibility as well. So when you're looking at a device like this and even mobile phone technologies, like all this stuff has to come out of the ground somewhere, right? Mm thinking more consciously of um, what impact has had this technology had in order to exist as, and we use it and then it's got an end life. So how are we thinking about decommissioning like 7 billion mobile phones when we transition to this new form of holographic technology? Yeah. Like, that blows my mind. What are we going to do with them? <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot of environmental and sustainability questions that are going through my brain about this kind of world in 2030. And who even thinking about um, like power. Sure, <laughs> and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it's, a, it's an exciting future, but, and it's a different future, but it does have different costs. And we need to start thinking about those costs now. And, you know, I'm very conscious that the laptop that I'm speaking to you through at the moment, mm -hmm. that material has come probably from first people's country somewhere. And we need to respect that and respect the devices that we have access to. And, you know, I get really upset when people just have this kind of obsolescence with devices, just guarding them. You know, took, this came out of someone's country. We should be respecting the devices a bit more than maybe what we do. Right. And so some kind of a, some kind of a, a recycle program or like, I'm, I'm just like spitballing here or um, at, the, at, the, at one end, but also, um, yeah, some regulations or something that uh, should be helpful that, um, um, yeah, that, that the lands of mostly indigenous peoples, of course, um, are, are respected and that they're, because um, yeah. that's what, what we're seeing right now. And I think it was in Russia, that Tesla wanted to go, wanted to go big, um, yeah, get those, what you built those batteries from, the lithium mm. things, yeah. lithium mines, and like all these indigenous peoples are like, hold on, that's, that's my land. And yeah. so like, yeah, what, what, that's also a, a bigger question. Well, you don't have to answer, of course, but like there's a bigger question around like, all right, what is the, how do you balance like the rights of indigenous peoples with the just sustainability as in, as in like, we, yes, electric cars and everything else but like you said like 
all these things have to be made and all the all these um uh, from 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 materials that are usually mostly found on indigenous lands on indigenous territories yeah and we have to have some agency over that as first peoples mm. and and there's also opportunity with that that we have as well like i know i've read of some nations that are putting installing massive solar farms which are powering data centers like that's an incredible opportunity for first peoples to be mm. able to from this kind of economy so, yeah okay. there's oh yeah yeah like because you know data centers take huge amounts of energy to run and then when you look at quantum computing and the type of energy resources that are required for that um there's opportunities for for first peoples to look into power supply um in yeah. that so yeah there's you know i think if we can dream it we can pretty much do it now and it, having the space to dream about it is really important engaging kids in that because those little brains oh my gosh when we're working with kids and the stuff they come up with about 2030 like we're currently doing a challenge um that is a nadoc um which is a special celebration in australia um it's the national aborigines and islanders day observance committee big celebration that we have every year um and we're running a nadoc minecraft challenge and the question that we've asked the kids is how would you build your community school town or city in 2030 if you could build it from scratch using indigenous science and indigenous knowledge mm -hmm. and the ideas that these kids are already presenting us with are like remarkable and we should be totally tapping into that and thinking about how do we actually make that happen because yeah. that's absolutely genius yeah no, I, I, I'm so glad you talked about Minecraft because that's the, the biggest reason why I'm on Twitch. Yeah. Um, just to watch people build on Minecraft. Like I, 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 I suck at it like 100%, but I love to watch um, mostly kids. Yeah. Uh, on like watch, watch how to build on Minecraft. And I'm still trying to find like track all these indigenous children that are, that are using, that you're using Minecraft. And yeah, it, it's mind blowing what, yeah. what 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 they're building and also like what the possibilities are with minecraft so like yeah. it, it is it seems like very like uh, pixelated and it's but like um it gives a lot like what it what it lacks in in pixels it like it's um it has an abundance of opportunities um for 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 people's to um yeah to to to, to build what they imagine and like, and because it's so pixelated, and I like, correct me if I'm wrong, I think is so that everyone has access to it. Um, so that yeah. in, in remote communities. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I just also wanted to talk, ask the last question, but I think this is much more exciting to talk about. Um, like, yeah, Minecraft. Like, ex educate people on on game. What is Minecraft? What is Minecraft? Like, because um, there, there's yeah. so much opportunity in there. There really is. So I had to learn Minecraft as an adult um, two years ago when we started designing this um, augmented reality platform version number two. And I was like, oh, I don't get it. It's just like squares and pigs and it's called mine Minecraft. I just, it's not resonating with me. Like I didn't understand what it was. <clears throat> and then I had to learn it <laughs> because we, uh, we realized that it would be a really easy way for kids to be able to create cultural landscapes. Mm -hmm. 
program. Um, so basically what Minecraft is, is you can either go in biomes that have been pre-created or you can create a whole world from scratch. Um, and because it is made out of squares, um, you can make absolutely anything. So you can make um, any kind of cultural material, any kind of cultural housing. Um, you can design the way that rivers flow. We've got kids at the moment working in Minecraft that are reconstructing ancient Aboriginal fish traps, for example. Um, kids have, uh, there's a, a really great story I'll share with you. So recently we worked with um, Peter Rowlands and her son, Justin, on Mangadiri, which is their country in Birdsville, which is a very remote place in um, Australia. And it, Justin, um, Peter was finding it really difficult to engage Justin in, in his heritage and in his culture. And once we introduced Minecraft as a lens for him to explore his um, culture, he became incredibly um, consumed by learning his culture because he had to create it in the game. So he went and he researched with Peter and they went through books and went through all their heritage materials that they have. And he was very specific about wanting to be able to build um, the Mangatiti houses, which mm -hmm. are called Pungas. Um, and he was able to do that with such precision. It was amazing. Um, so he built the Pungas and then he worked with his grandfather, who's a senior traditional elder, to film a video of Uncle Don on the river. Um, and Uncle Don was, is there on the river in the video talking about mining and the impact of mining on their country. And Justin was then able to create what's called a non-player character. So it's just a character that stands in the world. And when you go up to the character and click on it, Uncle Don's um, language comes up talking to you about Mangatiri and what he's going to talk to you about. And then you can click this learn more function. And then the video of Uncle Don explaining what's actually going on in that country comes up. So you've got this like multi-dimensional way of being able to share cultural knowledge. Um, and then there's like the make code function in there. So kids can start learning coding language like Python um, really easily by using drop and drag blocks. So, so it teaches them the foundations of learning this language, which is a coding language. Mm -hmm. It's just like learning any other language. Um, and then they can make things happen in the world. So we teach them how to embed indigenous language words into that Python code. So when they're going through the world, when they say, um, what country am I on? Um, the Minecraft world will tell them you're on Dadawa land or you're on Dadak land or whatever. And you can go more and more complex adding language and you can add entire paragraphs of language in there if you want to. Um, and there's also ways of doing signposts. And then there's a camera function where you can take selfies through the world as well and then create this whole portfolio of what you've created in your world and um, explain it to other people. So yeah, it's an incredible learning um, tool. It's not even a tool, it's like an entire universe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as you can see, I'm now really passionate about Minecraft um, as oh. a way of being able to teach culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm 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 a observer at this point, um, but I do have to like invest time in into into yeah, um, building um, yeah, becoming a Minecraft. Like, how do you how do you call, call them community or someone that plays Minecraft? I don't I can't remember. Crafters, I think they're called crafters. Right, crafters. <laughs> yeah, like I, I have to spend time and energy um, to becoming a crafter because it is 
Um, I, I can see, I can see that it is not just for indigenous children. It is for people from all ages, from, from all demographics. Um, yeah. And like, uh, I think this, this stigma that people think about Minecraft or Twitch or gamifying rights, you know, that people have to like, let go of that because it is, it is a future. Like, it, it is something that you have to embrace right now if you want to be relevant um, um, in, uh, um, in, yeah, in, in the future. That, that, at least that's, that's, that's what I think. Um, if it you know. provides a lens for our kids to get more engaged with our language and our knowledge and 100%. our law, I'm yeah. 100% behind it. <laughs> Um, uh, th thank you so much, um, um, Michaela, for, for, for I, I know you, you don't you don't have a lot of, a lot of time, and I think it's yeah it's late at night right now in in, in Sydney. Um, appreciate for every for the 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 yeah the nuggets not nuggets but like the the wealth of knowledge that you've shared actually in in, in this past hour. Um, is there anything that we did not touch upon that you really wanted to talk about, um, or that I that you're like oh geez Gazali seriously you didn't ask that. Um, anything along those lines um, that I, I forgot? Yeah, I think just talking about being brave, like I remember when we first met Ghazali, it was in 2014, it was my first time at the UN. I went there with an agenda to talk about digital human rights. Mm. Um, and I felt really tiny and small in that forum. And it was very hard to stand up um, and do an intervention about technology when we're dealing with a whole raft of other issues of people being murdered and just horrendous, heinous crimes against First Peoples and to stand there and talk about, hey, and digital, it was really, really hard and felt insignificant in a way. But I think why it's important is that Everything has a digital backbone in the fourth industrial revolution, including the economy. And there won't be money anymore. It will be, will be digitized. And if we can't be part of that world, we have to ask ourselves, well, do we create another world? <laughs> um, or is there a way that we can join this world on our own terms so i think that's why in the end i do the work that i do because there's 400 million first peoples around the world that don't have access to a digital future right now and that means we're not at the table currently when this fourth industrial revolution is being imagined and being built mm -hmm. and i find that terrifying because we know what gaps look like um, as first peoples and I don't think we can afford to see that in the fourth industrial revolution for ourselves or our children. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. And I, yeah, that's definitely the, like, um, that we should, as, as a movement, as Indigenous peoples at large should be, should be talking about more. Uh, Cause right now this uh, is what I see is we're trying to, not we, but a lot of Indigenous peoples are tr just trying to stay in the game, mm. um, in, in in the system, be part of it, be be relevant in the current system. Whereas, um, it's much more, not much more, but it would be a smart thing to do, to um, yeah, look ahead and what what you're seeing, like if you, if you feel like in the, the fourth industrial revolution, um, when digital is becoming the the currency, quote unquote. 
um, that you, we start we should start um, anticipating it and start moving um, around it or making making sure that we can become relevant in it. Um, any 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 what is like the first thing that indigenous peoples could do? Like like the the the, the the one-on-one, the entry-level things that they can do. I'll, I'll make sure that this is the final question, but um, I think it's very relevant. It's okay. Well, you know, it's late now already, so it's cool. I'm happy. <laughs> um, look, if we want to know what the world in the fourth industrial revolution looks like without first peoples designing it in a way that benefits us, you should read um, Sophia Noble's book called Algorithms of Oppression. Um, that will give us a little insight into the future that's being created without us at the moment. Um, and if that doesn't shock you and horrify you, then I'm not sure what will. But I think the first step is um, getting involved in understanding computers, not being scared of the computer. Um, you know, a lot of people my age are like, oh, I'm really, I really suck at computers. And I'm, and our people think about coding as maths. And, you know, I'm, I have numeracy dyslexia. I, I hate maths. I'm not good at maths, but it's not to do with maths. It's to do with a language. And if we look at um, the foundations of comp computational thinking and computers, it is simply learning about different languages. And we're very good at that. Like our ancestors spoke multiple indigenous languages in Australia. Like we're good at language um, and we're good at coding and Coding is just one part of computing. You don't have to be involved in code if that's not your thing. Like, it's not really my thing. I like imagining the technologies of the future. So there's so many different entry points into understanding digital economies and computers and computing and holograms and all that kind of stuff. I think finding out the thing that's going to inspire you to keep going down that path is probably part of it. So for me, that was, I want to see my elders talk to my children as holograms because our people can't always be on site to like explain to people what's going on in that place so that's kind of the vision that kept getting me out of bed but i work with people um first people that have multiple dreams of what the future of us and technology looks like um and it's it the opportunities are like expensive for our peoples um, yeah, so I think big getting excited about our future and about using 80,000 years of science to help design future technologies that don't even exist right now. Like that's, that's exciting. You know, our, our ancestors were and, and are the world's greatest inventors. We invented some really cool stuff throughout the history of our peoples and we've we owe it to ourselves to continue on that journey of being innovators and inventors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Michaela, keep on doing what you're doing. Um, definitely, um, you have 100% of my support. It's <laughs> humble, you. yes, I know. Um, but <laughs> but you, um, um, I always looked up to you, um, 100, uh, full disclosure, um, even though we've known each other since from, for a couple of years, uh, but like in doing what you do, trying to build a path, you're a pioneer um, in, 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 that, in, in that space, in, the, in that niche. So keep on doing what you're doing. It's 100% important. Um, let me know if, if there's any way that I can help. I will always, always love to help. 
um, amplifying your message or helping out with anything. I'll even, I'll even learn Minecraft right now. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to okay. yes. Um, yes, I'm I'll going learn. to learn. You can I'm join gonna, a world. Play together. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna learn. I'm going to le learn like, to be a crafter, um, <laughs> and then actually be able to talk about whatever I'm fascinated about at this point. Michaela, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, like we should talk at, at some different point, but more in length. And hopefully, we can do it also in person. My friends, that's the end of the episode. But there's more, um, way more. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Um, on your favorite podcast and platform, of course. And by the way, there are more nuggets of wisdom on YouTube. So check out my name, Ghazali Oharela, on YouTube. Subscribe and watch your favorite movie. Movie. I don't make movies. Videos. Videos. Um, sorry about that. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening. And bye-bye.